minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
a.m. in the a.m. Good morning. Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills and the web, jamtheam.org. Oh, our friends in Rockland County, they're at 91.9 on the FM dial. It's Wednesday, October the 16th. It's day 12 in the month of Marcheshvan. Good morning. The year 5774, Tufshin, Ayan 56 degrees, cloudy skies, high 68, mostly cloudy tonight. Low 60, mostly cloudy tomorrow, high going to 72. 81 in Yerushalayim, 79 in Tel Aviv, 77 in Haifa, a lot at 82. We're at 56 here on a Wednesday as we say good morning in Jersey City at JM in the AM. Shalshelas had Esau Enai, the Nigun done by Chaim David after uh, the uh, Yachad selection done by Chaim David. Shlomo Kalbach. Not his yard side yet. That's this coming Saturday night and Sunday. And boy, do we have great programming Saturday night and Sunday. Matis has put together a show on Sunday that includes live appearances by Neshama Kalbach, Shlomo Katz, and don't tell me. I already forgot. I already forgot the third person. But I'm telling you, it's great. Um, I'll look it up in a second. Of course, we open, open things up. We did Aisha Chayel and Vishavu Vanim from Rib Shloima and open things up with uh, Regesh and Modani as we say good morning. It's um, Shlomo Katz, Neshama Kalbach, and Shia Menlowitz all being interviewed. Uh, amazing Rib Shlomo music and stories uh, all coming up between 7 and 10 Eastern time this coming Sunday on the stream. JMNAM.org. Uh, JM Sunday. Matis does a great job every week. This week in particular is going to be pretty amazing so make sure you're tuned in and of course Avrami on Saturday Night Seagull will be doing Kalbach selections all through the day on Sunday on our stream there'll be Kalbach selections so there's a lot of Kalbach happening this coming Saturday night and Sunday uh, during his uh, 19th yard site. JM in the AM at 22 minutes before 7 o'clock a big thank you to uh, the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations they uh had me at their big 50th anniversary gala as the uh, voice behind the scenes, if you will. Uh, had the opportunity to really uh, introduce some amazing people last night, honorees and presenters who uh, are incredible leaders in the uh, in the Jewish world and the world in general. It was really an honor being there. And uh, mazal tov to all the honorees, including the uh, chairs of the conference in the last uh, eight terms. And, of course, Malcolm Honline celebrating his uh, 25th year. At the helm was Executive Vice President at a Conference of Presidents. It was a very special night and punctuated by the speech by President George W. Bush. When he was announced and when he walked into that room at the Waldorf Astoria, it was just unbelievable, the reception he got. And I'm sure there were a lot of people in that room who disagreed with him politically, especially domestically. But boy, did he get an ovation. And he was a spectacular speaker. And uh, even discussed the fact that now that he's not in Washington anymore, he can't run red lights, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> but but uh, it was just, it was just a, a fabulous night. And again, mazal tov to the Conference of Presidents and everybody who made it happen. It was pretty incredible. I also want to take this opportunity to thank Ron Tarosian. Ron is well known. He's been a guest of ours here at JM in the AM. Well-known in the world of public relations. And uh, he put together a an article yesterday um, on his blog that the uh, Times of Israel features um, that was amazing. 
about JM and the AM and uh, what we've been able to accomplish over the last 30 years, and I just thank him. It was just uh, an unbelievable gesture. Already I see it's been uh, shared and um, and recommended by many, many people out there. So I say uh, thank you to Ron Tarosian and uh, great to call him a friend. He's certainly uh, among uh, an amazing group of people that just... Uh, loves what this radio show has been able to accomplish and it is much appreciated I was met with sad news early this morning a couple hours ago I learned of the uh, passing of Charlotte Whale anybody in our audience who has ever been to a uh, a gathering uh, let's call it of the religious Zionist camp in the United States let's call it that or maybe I should just say the Zionist camp in the United States if you've been to protests and dinners and gatherings, then you likely knew Charlotte Whale. Uh, AFSI, the Americans for Safe Israel, called her a devoted volunteer and wonderful friend. Unfortunately, she passed away, and the funeral is going to be taking place in Emerson, New Jersey, at the Bethel Cemetery later today. And um, she is somebody who... Uh, Packed a punch, and the reason it's it's ironic to say it that way is because she was uh, a short lady, a short thin lady, who um, had so much energy, so much perspective, and such an incredible love for Israel that uh, could almost not be duplicated. That's how strong it was. So we will miss you, Charlotte Whale. She was a uh, a great friend and uh, took great pride in fighting for the Jewish people with the most dignified and uh, incredible demeanor. And again, um, if you've been to uh, if you've been to events supporting Israel over the years, likely you've met her or seen her at some point. I believe it was in 2005 she started wearing uh, as much orange as possible, including an orange scarf year-round, just to demonstrate solidarity with our brothers and sisters of a Gush Katif. So we will certainly miss her. J.M. and the A.M. at 18 minutes before 7 o'clock. A, another interesting day here at our uh, humble radio station. Rabbi Menachem Ganak is going to join us at about 8.15 this morning. There's a brand new book, Letters to President Clinton. We will discuss it on the air. We'll also speak to Ashi Stoller, who's uh, one of the hosts of a big event coming up this weekend on the subject of real estate in Israel. And our friends from the Yeshiva University Medical Ethics Society are scheduled to visit here about 7.30 this morning. They have a big event coming up as well. We will speak with them this morning, plus everything you'd expect from a JM in the AM Wednesday. Keep it at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 in Rockland County and around the world on the web, jmintheam.org.
JM in the AM, Wednesday morning. Yehuda Green calls that my Rebbe's Nigun. Shwebel Sharp and Levine with Mim Komcha. You heard Yummy Lowy took the top spot in week number one in the top nine at nine countdown on Tuesday nights. Did not get the top spot last night. Hmm, I wonder who did. Yehuda Glan said, I'm Yisrael Chai. JM the AM, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. News from Israel coming up. I'm trying to piece together, based because I was at the dinner last night, so I'm trying to piece together the uh, top nine at nine. Based on the Yossi Zweig's tweets from last evening. I'll get it. <laughs> Believe you me, I'll get it eventually. I will piece it together and uh, report to everybody, those of you who are not aware of uh, who won the 9-9 last night, exactly who did. So we'll do that coming up here at JM in the AM. And you could vote already. That's right. You can already vote for next week's uh, big countdown. All you got to do is uh, go to NahumSiegel.com, check out the tab at the top. And you will see the uh, 9 at 9 designation. Oh, I hear somebody who says, I voted for the Maccabees, draw ye Quran, it came in second place. All right, there's a hint. News from Israel next to Jam Nam. Ah, they fooled me again. They got me again with that routine. Ah, here he tells us who number one was. I'll wait. I'll let you know in the 7 o'clock hour who won the entire kit and caboodle last evening. JM and the AM, Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, uh, 2 p.m. newscast for a Wednesday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM and the AM. סגן שר החוץ של איראן, אבאס ארקשי, אמר כי ארצו עשויה לשקול את הנושא אחרי סירוב עיקש לאפשר כניסת פקחים. הוא נשאל מה הממשל בטהרן יהיה מוכן לעשות בתמורה להקלה בעיצומים והשיב אף אחד מהנושאים הללו לא מופיע בחלק הראשון של ההצעה שהגשנו, אך הם חלק מהצעדים הסופיים בהצעה. הורים לילדים שקיבלו את חיסון הפוליו טוענים, הם סובלים כעת משיתוק. בתוכניתנו עושים צהריים עם יעל דן, שוחחנו עם שלושה הורים כאלה, בהם דסי, שסיפרה על שלמה בן חמש וחצי. בערך כחודש אחרי קבלת החיסון, התחילו לו תופעות של גרירת הרגל, שם החלה החמרה. מה אומרים הרופאים? הם כמובן מכחישים כל קשר לחיסון. משהו כמובן לא כל כך הגיוני. 
אומרים במשרד הבריאות, שם טוענים אין כל קשר בין החיסון לבין התופעות שהתגלו אצל הילד. עם זאת, מומחים אחרים למחלות זיהומיות טוענים על המדינה לבדוק את הקשר בין המקרים, כבר לא ניתן להתעלם מהתופעה. בר רפאלי לקחה את אילן בן דוב לבית המשפט וניצחה. שרון פולבר עם הפרטים. בית המשפט קבע שחברת סאני שבשליטת בן דוב תשלם לדוגמנית כחצי מיליון שקל פיצויים עקב פגיעה בפרטיות והפרת התחייבות. המחלוקת הייתה סביב פרסומת למכשירים סלולריים שהוקרנה בקולנוע, בעוד שההסכם המקורי דיבר על שידורי טלוויזיה בלבד. בנוסף, רפאלי טענה שיום הצילומים הועבר בשידור חי באינטרנט ללא ידיעתה. מזג האוויר היום ומחר נאה, בשישי הטמפרטורות ירדו וגשם מקומי יגיע גם לצפון וגם לחוף. אלה החדשות שעורך אסף ליברמן. Uncle Menachem and Uncle Eitan in the booth. And we're going to teach you a brand new song right now, something that's really going to be a machayat. So you get ready, get your feet moving, pot your hand a lot, and here we go. Es Hashem, Hamavorah. Es Hashem, Hamavorah. Es Hashem. Es Hashem HaMavurah Es Hashem HaMavurah Es Hashem HaMavurah Es Hashem Es Hashem HaMavurah Es Hashem HaMavurah Es Hashem
in the AM. Nochi Krohn Band with Esau Enai. Gershon Verobo before that fight in the man. Diaspora had Es Hashem. And of course, the big news, as so many folks at this point know. And we broke the news on this great radio broadcast yesterday. I'm so proud of it. There were so many people trying to break the news, but Ding was very cooperative. And we broke the news here at JM in the AM that Diaspora and a bunch of other amazing acts, including headliners like Avram Fried, are going to be at the... Uh, 27th annual Hass concert coming up on January the 12th. And Diaspora opened up the uh, 7 o'clock hour with Es Hashem here at JM in the AM. Good morning. Welcome to a JM in the AM Wednesday with 56 degrees, cloudy skies, and a high of 68. 17 minutes after 7 o'clock. Big shout out to Jonah Gantrow. I am, uh, I neglected yesterday to, um, to give him a shout-out during the Tuesday JM in the AM, so I'm hoping that I'm able to uh, make up for it and give him a shout-out here on the Wednesday morning edition 
of JM and the AM. Reminder, we have an amazing and incredible schedule all through the day on our stream at jmtheam.org, including something to talk about. Randy Wartelski is on this morning between 9 and 10 Eastern Time right after JM and the AM. The topic, educators and those interested in education, get together to talk about it. Find out how you can be part of the conversation. Or by Dr. Aaron Ross of Yavna Academy, Mr. Seth Dimbert of Yeshivat Noam, joining the discussion again, Randy, with one of her expert topics, in this case, education, uh, coming up between 9 and 10 this morning on the stream at jmtheam.org. And I am told that uh, Rabbi Chaim Hagler has a great edition of Listen Up that's going to be happening today. And uh, Dr. Hershorn is his guest. They're going to be talking about a very serious topic as he continues to explore, as Rabbi Hagler continues to explore some of the unsung heroes in our community. They're going to be talking about Hevra Kadisha and the uh, unbelievable mitzvah of uh, taking care of someone once they pass. 11 o'clock this morning for the Z-Report Live Lunch. Jesse Zweig is going to be presiding, as usual, uh, after his uh, stellar performance last evening on the 9 at 9. So here's how it went. Number 9 last, nine was the, last night was the Chevra with Chai. Avramo had bench at number 8. Baruch Levine Ufaratzda at number 7. Number six was Shalshelis with Yala. Nice uh, nice placement for a brand new song. Ari Goldwag at five with Amechad. Number four, Yumi Lowy with Miadir. That was the winner in week number one. Benny Friedman, Yesh Tikva, number three. That's going to remain up there for a while, I bet. Number two is the Maccabees with Dror Yikra. That's their brand new one. Very nice. And number one, Avramo. He had two in the top nine. This one is Mind Fillin off of his brand-new CD. Avram Freed takes the top spot in the 9 at 9 last night. Here he is at JM in the AM. Mit Freude, der Dreh, oh 
There it is. Took the number one spot last night at our top nine at nine, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. on the stream at jmnam.org. Thank you, Yossi Zweig, and congratulations to Avramo, Avram Freed, with mind filling here at JM and the AM. 27 minutes after 7 o'clock, good morning. Cloudy skies, a high temperature of 68. Students from the Yeshiva University Medical Ethics Society will be joining us in a few minutes. They have a big event coming up on Sunday. We'll discuss that coming up here at JM and the AM. Also, Rabbi Menachem Ganak is joining us. In the 8 o'clock hour, the book is called Letters to President Clinton. He will be here coming up. Tomorrow we'll have an opportunity to speak uh, with somebody from the Chevron Fund. A very big Shabbat is coming up. Shabbat Parashat Chaye Sarah next week. And it is uh, traditionally uh, the biggest, largest attended Shabbat in the holy city of Chevron, as many of you know. And those who are starting to decide to go to Israel, <laughs> because that's usually the way it works, all of a sudden people find out about friends and family that are heading over, and they have a desire to go themselves. Uh, we'll give you instructions tomorrow on exactly how to do that and what the Hebron Fund is offering to make it a really beautiful Shabbos, uh, which it always is, in the holy city of Hebron. So that's coming up tomorrow right here at JM in the AM. If you big, missed the big uh, Hask announcement yesterday, Lots of amazing performers, including the return of the Diaspora Yeshiva Band, all happening on the 12th of January on stage at Avery Fisher Hall in New York City. Check out our community calendar online for every event, of course. And for Hask tickets, you can go to the web, hasconcert.com. Again, that's hasconcert.com for information. Coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, Randy Wartelski with another amazing conversation regarding education by Dr. Aaron Ross of Yavna Academy and Mr. Seth Dimbert of Yeshiva at Noam. We'll join in the discussion between 9 and 10 this morning right after JM and the AM. And Dr. David Hirshhorn is the guest of Rabbi Chaim Hagler as uh, he interviews and continues his series of interviews on the Listen Up program at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the topic of unsung heroes. And in this case, they'll talk about Hevra Kadisha and the amazing work that's done in a very difficult situation uh, for family and friends. And uh, Dr. David Hirshhorn will join Rabbi Chaim Hagler for that between 10 and 11 this morning. At 11 a.m., it's the Z-Report Live Lunch with plenty of brand-new music and a lot of concert information all coming up with Yossi Zweig on our stream at jmnam.org. Make sure you are tuned in. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Echonish Masar of Zeb, and Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We're going to be continuing with our series on Chinuch. Reb Michal Yehuda Lefkowitz noted, that when mothers cry for their children, those offspring grow up to be Tamide Chachomim. This corresponds to the Gemara's statement in Nida. What should one do to become smart? He should sit and learn and ask for mercy to Mimavakesh Rachamim from the one who possesses wisdom, Hashem. Preceding Matan Torah, Hashem told Moshe, 
so shall you say to the house of Yaakov and relate to the children of Israel. Our sages tell us that Beis Yaakov, the house of Jacob, refers to the women. Rabbeinu Bechayi writes in his commentary that Hashem commanded Moshe to do so in order to teach the women Musar and Derech Eretz so that they could attract their sons to Torah and mitzvahs. A mother has a special yearning for her son. She possesses a unique capacity to draw him to the base of Medrash. We learn that the time of lighting Shabbos candles is an especially auspicious time for a woman to pray for the success of her children. The Chazanish adds that any time a person performs a mitzvah with joy, happy to fulfill the will of his Creator, it's a propitious moment to pray to Hashem. This is as the Chavetz Chaim cites in Parshas Kisavoy. After we have recited the Berchus HaMazon, thanking Hashem for the food that He gave us, we recite the Harachamon. These are tefillahs for the host, those that are present in the coming of Mashiach. The principal of a yeshiva had finally determined that he would have to eject one of the bachrim from the school. Just then, some family members, including the boy's mother, came into the office. The mother pleaded passionately on behalf of her son. However, it was the woman's argument that was compelling. She asked why she hadn't been told earlier of her son's difficulties. Had she been appraised of the circumstances, cried the mother, she would have been mispalled to Hashem with even more fervor and dedication. Perhaps the situation would never have deteriorated to the point where the child now had to be expelled from school. When the principal heard these words, he said, she is correct in her argument. It could be that if we would have told her and she would have prayed, we would not be at this point, because truthfully, tefillah helps. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
Jakob Shweki and Shai Abramson, an amazing selection. Lote da Milchama, one of our favorite songs, done live at the uh, Nokia Center in Tel Aviv early in 2013. 7.36 on a Wednesday, JM and the AM at 24 minutes before 8 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Cloudy skies, a high temperature of 68. This coming Sunday, the 8th Annual Fold Family Medical Ethics Society Conference takes place, presented by... Yeshiva University Student Medical Ethics Society and Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future. Uh, the title for the event, Prescribing for a Nation, Examining the Interplay of Israeli Healthcare and Jewish Law, this coming Sunday beginning at 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. at the Yeshiva University Wolf Campus at 500 West 185th Street in New York City. Uh, there are uh, many distinguished speakers. We'll go through the list coming up with our special guests. YUMedicalEthics.com has all the information to register. Parking and lunch will be provided. Again, it's YUMedicalEthics.com. We welcome to the program the uh, leaders of the YU, Yeshiva University Medical Ethics Society, uh, Chani Herzig and Kalman Laufer. To both of you, we say welcome to JM and the AM. Thank you very much. Is this a lifelong dream to become the president of the Yeshiva University Medical Ethics Society? Uh, For myself, I can't say it was lifelong, but it's definitely an honor to have the position. What would you say? Uh, I've been a long-time groupie of MES. I've been following them around since I got to campus. So it's been it was surprising and exciting to be here, and I'm humbled. I <laughs> hope I do a good job. And Yeah, you'll do great today, that I guarantee you, and I'm sure you're doing a great job in your capacity as leader of the uh, of the Medical Ethics Society. The um, I, I assume, and uh, I, I, maybe I shouldn't make assumptions, but I'm going to... I'm going to ask if my assumptions are correct. One must be on a medical school track in order to lead the society. Is that true or not? Absolutely not true at all. Not at all. all. Not at all. I'm not in the med school track. I'm heading towards advanced practice nursing. 
So medical school is not required to be part of the Medical Ethics Society. It's a an interest in the topic and a desire to just uh, learn more and, I guess, disseminate more information, exactly. right? appreciation. And if it wasn't nursing, would you be able to be in a different area of... Uh, absolutely. So we have... Uh, there are people on our board who are considering law and writing. There's absolutely no requirement to be going into medicine. That's good to know. Yeah. Are you, in fact, heading to medicine? Or? I am, in fact, heading to medicine. Right. Pre-med is my choice. So this is... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say more interesting. I'm sure it's interesting to everybody who's involved, but... Maybe it feels closer to you. It, it hits very close to home. I it was a perfect imagine. fit. How does one decide, and this is the eighth year in a row that this uh, conference is taking place, how does one decide on the topic for this year's conference? So it's a very interesting process. We usually start brainstorming with our mentor, Dr. Eddie Reichman. Um, he's the faculty advisor. He's a teacher at Montefiore and, and at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Right. He and the two of us usually start tossing around ideas, literally anything we can think of until something begins to stick. Last year they did Holocaust, so we started, you know, coming up with the logical outflow of the Holocaust was the state of Israel, and that kind of led to where we are now. So sort of like an extended uh, um, session from last year, if you will. And this is a fascinating topic, examining the interplay of Israeli health care and Jewish law. As much as Israeli society is intertwined with Jewish law to a great extent, as we know, in so many different things, I don't know if I ever thought of that, how the medical system works in Israel and how it relates to real, authentic Jewish law. Yeah, so that's exactly what we're excited to talk about. Are we, are we going to find a vast difference or a lot, of, uh, a lot of common ground, yet a lot of differences when it comes to the way... Uh, uh, Israeli healthcare is handled, and and the way uh, you know we know that healthcare has to be handled according to Jewish law, or do we have to wait till Sunday to find out? <laughs> well, surprisingly, if you come Sunday, you'll definitely find out. But surprisingly, there's actually a lot of overlap between halacha and Israeli law. They take it very seriously when they consider um, how to formulate, particularly medical law, because it's such a touchy subject with different sections of the community. I can imagine that's true. And do we have a good example of that? Like, is there one example you could cite how they really take seriously Jewish law when making decisions like that? Well, definitely in terms of of end-of-life care and beginning-of-life care fertility. We're going to talk about all these things at the conference. Um, So those issues are among where... Specifically, end of life is a huge. There yeah, I can are a That's number of cases over the past decade or so, which uh, Professor Yonatan Halevi, one of the people speaking, right. he's a very prominent doctor and uh, rabbinic scholar. Um, he will be talking about a number of case laws that were both some were impacted by halacha and some weren't, and the different outcomes because of those right. choices. All right, in our studio we have uh, both Achani um, Herzig and Kalman Laufer. They are the the uh, co-presidents, would that be accurate, of the Yeshiva University Medical Ethics Society, the 8th Annual Fold Family Society Conference takes place this coming Sunday, examining the interplay of Israeli healthcare and Jewish law. Tell me about the speakers that you have invited to participate on Sunday, because it looks like quite a prominent list. Who wants to... Uh, Wants yeah, to start. Go ahead. It definitely is. So we're having the director general of Shari Medical Center for Yonatan Halevi is coming. It's really exciting. He's been in this industry for a while, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yes, he, has. <laughs> he knows his stuff. So he'll be presenting on Sunday. Who else do you Absolutely. have? Absolutely. The CEO of Zaka is coming. Mm. Uh, yeah, which is really interesting and a whole other element of Israeli healthcare that doesn't necessarily correlate to American healthcare is caring for when things go wrong. Um, yeah, and if anybody would know that, it would be somebody who works uh, with Zaka or closely with Zaka. Exactly. So we're also having that Zaka is bringing someone who advises them a lot legally, um, Mark J. Kurzman, and that's going to be really exciting. They're going to talk about end-of-life rescue that they do. Um, 
common? Who are your Who are you excited to hear about? Uh, I'm particularly. We have a number of rabbinic figures, including Professor Halevi, obviously, but right. Rabbi, Rabbi Willig from YU will be discussing also a number of of issues, but from the American perspective, and Rabbi Professor Halevi will be responding from the Israeli side of things. So are there a lot? Is there a there lot? Are of, actually I don't want to use the word I, conflict, but are there a lot of differences? Definitely, there are some differences. Really? Are, yeah, because you know when your entire country is full of Jewish people, so then everybody plays by the same rules. You right. can't just say, well, don't turn the lights on because the non-Jew can do it. It doesn't right. work like that. Right. Everyone's Jewish. And um, I guess here, when it comes to any type of end-of-life issue or something very serious in terms of uh, medical uh, uh, topics, you'd go to your own rabbi, so to speak, and then, you know, follow their lead. Right. And whoever they consult with. In Israel, as you just said, it's it's going to be a lot different, especially when you're being administered by a staff, a hospital, right. etc. And the government has a lot of say in Israel, much more so, at least right. as of right now, than we have here. Oh, that's interesting. And I noticed that Dr. Mitchell Schwaber is going to be there, uh, director of the National Center for Infection Control, the Israel Ministry of Health. So yeah. he'll be participating as well. He's going to talk about his trip to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010 and how he set up one of the first functioning ICUs on the ground. So there were a lot of decisions that they had to make in terms of who to treat, how to treat, how long to treat, rationing supplies. It was a difficult situation, and Israel made a huge Kiddush Hashem, and so we're really excited to have him come talk about Well, that. it was definitely a Kiddush Hashem, but some of those questions that you just outlined, I never really considered. Yeah, that's a whole another element of the conference is going to be talking about triage and making decisions in terms of who to treat and how to treat. Um, e- even within Israel, when things go wrong, when you have in front of you, you know, a bloodied and broken terrorist, and you have... You know, Israelis, it's a tough situation. It's, it's definitely going to be um, a heavy topic, but it'll be very interesting. Trying to judge severity of injury, yeah. priority, youth, hope of who could survive. Yes. Gosh, I'm not even a doctor, and I'm thinking of a million different things you have to consider in a situation like that. It's definitely not easy. Oh, that's for sure. All right, uh, let's do some nuts and bolts. If people want to register, they just go to your website, right? Website is easiest. Whyumedicalethics.com. Whyumedicalethics.com. Everybody's invited to register and participate. How generally, uh, I assume you've been to these conferences before. Yes, absolutely. Generally, are they well attended? Like yeah. A, generally a couple these, hundred people. Do these things sell out? Yeah, yeah. usually. For Seriously. Sure. Yeah, we usually have to have overflow. Fantastic. Whyumedicalethics.com. Parking and lunch is provided on campus. The conference goes from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. And again, this time around, it's called Prescribing for a Nation, Examining the Interplay of Israeli Health Care and Jewish Law. All happens up at the YU campus, the Uptown campus on West 185th Street. This coming Sunday, go to whyumedicalethics.com. The... Um, what have been some of the uh, other? You mentioned the. I remember last year in terms of the Holocaust. Have there, what other topics have we explored in these conferences over the years? Do you remember? So some of the other topics we've explored um, generally touch on specific medical fields, um, genetics, technology, public health have just been a few. Um, we last year and really this year we kind of shifted away from a specific medical field mm. more to a general uh, time period. I would probably like arena of medicine. Right. But um, they've also talked about fertility and mental health and really everything that just has has very immediate effects on the Jewish community. Like, that's what we try to do at MES. We try to be a resource for people. We're not just – it's not just fun for us to make conferences. Like, we really believe that what we're doing is helpful and important and impactful. Well, and it certainly seems that way. So when the Medical Ethics Society is not planning these major events, what are the types of things that you guys are doing in terms of activities all year round? 
uh, I learn full time and I'm also in school full time. Yeah, but so. I mean, in terms of society yeah. itself, like I assume so, you're doing uh, meetings, get-togethers, sure. uh, exploring topics without opening it up to the public. Am I right? Um, yeah, I mean, our next event is going to be run in conjunction with the Einstein Medical School's program for Jewish genetic health, and we're going to be running screening on campus, so students can, for a really subsidized price, get genetic testing and open genetic testing and make informed decisions about their futures. So that's something we're really proud of. Um, we also have. Shabbatonim with the different speakers on topics that we've our like, hot topics happen here and now that are exciting and we think people should know about. For example, last year we ran an event on what is Obamacare and what does it mean for me. Uh, very good. So we also ran one on brain death last year, I believe. Wow. A number of events like that throughout the year. Yeah. Unbelievable. There's a lot going on in that field, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's just incredible. All right. I want to thank both um, uh, Hani Herzig and Kalman Laufer. They are the co-presidents of the Yeshiva University. Medical Ethics Society. The conference is coming up on Sunday. Everybody is invited, 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. at the Yeshiva University Wolf Campus on West 185th Street. The lineup is remarkable and includes great medical personnel. And as you mentioned, uh, Rashi Yeshiva, Rabbi Blau, Rabbi Willie, who are going to be participating in the program as well. Go to yumedicalethics.com. Again, that's yumedicalethics.com. Anything you guys want to add that people need to know? We hope to see you there. That's it. Everyone, we hope to see you there. It's going to be a remarkable event. And we commend the uh, YU Medical Ethics Society for putting it together. Examining the interplay of Israeli healthcare and Jewish law information, very simple. Go to the website, yumedicalethics.com. More coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
Six million brought prophecy into the world because when they walked to the gas chambers they saw what nobody saw before. I want you to know, friends, I was privileged to see soldiers late at night with a gun in their hand looking up in the sky. I can swear to you they saw what nobody saw before. And they felt what nobody will ever feel again. I've been privileged to hold hands of wounded soldiers. They're waiting for Mashiach to bring them their eyes, their feet, their souls, their hearts. And they feel what nobody felt before. But you know, my friends, what keeps us going? Wonderful prophecy. Wonderful prophecy. Oh,
Oh, is he unbelievable or what? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. The great Rav Shlomo Kalbach, his yard site is this coming Saturday night. In fact, I just invited somebody to the Kiddush of the Mizrahi this coming Shabbos on the Lower East Side. We've got an amazing Kalbach Shabbos coming up with uh, Chazan Sruli Hirsch. And we're getting ready for a... Uh, there's so much going on. Saturday night at the Westside Institutional Synagogue is the uh, big Kalbach tribute concert with some amazing people. Sruli Williger, Ellie Kranzler, Yehuda Green, a lot of great folks. Sunday, Neshama Kalbach in concert at the Shul, the Kalbach Shul on the West Side. A whole uh, Kalbach weekend going up on the uh, going on on the Upper West Side. In fact, a lot of great things happening. As we remember, Shlaima, 19 years later, here at JM and the AM, we're getting prepared. Avrami's going to be hosting his show on Saturday night. That will concentrate on Rav Shlomo Kalbach music. And Matis has prepared an unbelievable Sunday morning edition of JM Sunday on the stream at jmtheam.org, including interviews with Neshama Kalbach, Shlomo Katz, and Shia Menlowitz. Uh, that's happening between 7 and 10, an extended JM Sunday this coming Sunday, in honor of Rav Shlomo's yard site. It's going to be amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Our listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Well, Ushi Stoller is with us live via telephone, a familiar name to many of our listeners. Very active in many uh, charitable and educational organizations. One of the founders of DRS uh, Yeshiva High School. And uh, he's consultant to the Ramat Givad Zev development in Israel. In fact, it was Ashi Stoller who, fro- who first brought the Ramat Givad Zev project to our attention. And uh, we'll talk about an event happening this coming Sunday where you could learn more. But first, we'll get a general uh, overview of what's happening with Ramat Givad Zev in Israel. Ashi Stoller, welcome back to JM in the AM. Nachum, always a pleasure to talk to you and be on the show. Appreciate that. Great to speak with you. Now, if I remember correctly, before we talk about Sunday's event, if I remember correctly, Ramat Givad Zev, as, as, as often as different brand new projects in Israel state this, but in this case, they really have tried as much as possible to appeal to the desires and amenities of the American public, meaning that if somebody wants to go to Israel, yet not, you know, change much of what they're used to in terms of living conditions. Uh, that was the goal of this project. Yeah, that's exactly correct, Nachum. And um, it is being developed and designed with the uh, American style of, of living, both from a physical point of view and also from a spiritual point of view, as far as the shuls, the yeshivas, the mikvahs, the facilities that are being provided, and particularly the homes that are being developed, the homes and the apartments are being, uh, you know, built luxury standards. Um, they've hired some of the top architects to work on the details and really gear it towards the uh, the lifestyle that the Americans and the European uh, Anglo communities are, are geared towards. All right, so the people at Nofei Yisrael, they, they know how to do this? They, they have the right people on their team to bring an American touch to an Israeli neighborhood? They have a, an outstanding team, and, and uh, they've had very successful projects in a, a neighboring community in uh Gan Ayalot, which is a, a neighborhood that I'm familiar with, and my son actually bought a house there, and this was a neighborhood of a, less than 200 people about two years ago, which now has over 500 families living there. Oh, wow. And um, it's, it's uh, no Yisrael has an excellent reputation, and are putting all their efforts into, uh, you know, making this the ideal premier, you know, American community 
in Israel. Ashi Stoller with us live via telephone. Give us the geography for those of us who don't remember where exactly is Ramat Givadzev. Ramat Givadzev is, is less than 10 miles uh, from Yerushalayim. You can access it uh, through via the new Route 443, which goes right past Ramot, and it's uh, just maybe less than five minutes past Ramot on 443. So it's essentially just north of Ramot, we would say. Correct. Right, that would make sense. Um, all right, so this coming Sunday is being called the Final Expo. Uh, it's happening out in Lawrence. Is this the last opportunity for people to join in and uh, and become part of Ramat Givadzev? Uh, we're hoping that it will be the last opportunity, and, and uh, since we, I was on the show last, we had a very, very successful uh, expo the last time they were here in New York, uh, out in, in Woodmere, and uh, they sold many of the homes. Uh, there are very few single-family homes still available, and there's been a tremendous amount of interest from people who will be attending the show this Sunday, and uh, we're hoping that this uh, will, will sell out on most of the uh, the private lots. Would you say you've hit already 250 uh, units at the uh, Ramat Givadzev? I, I believe, I don't know the exact number, but I think over 200 families have already purchased um, homes or apartments in the community. Mm, interesting. This coming Sunday from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. at the Lawrence Yacht and Country Club. That's when this final expo for Ramat Givadzev is going to be taking place, what they're calling American Lifestyle in the Jerusalem Hills. Ramat Givadzev, just north of Ramot, as you heard Ashi Stoller say. Phone number for information is 718-697-7546, 718-697-7546. And, and at the end of that expo, people will be able to uh, hear presentations uh, from folks on a variety of topics having to do with real estate in Israel, correct? Yes, they are bringing in all the professionals to answer any questions. There will be people there from the mortgage company, uh, attorneys who will help you know with any legal questions they have as far as uh, real estate purchases in Israel. Uh, there will be designers and architects there who can talk about specifics of the uh, layouts of the different houses and apartments. And um, they are bringing in all the professionals, and they will you know doing a professional show here. Plenty of room for a sukkah in every uh, unit, or uh, what? <laughs> yeah, every unit. They're very large um, terraces and balconies in the apartment buildings, the houses. Uh, the private houses and the pe- people are buying either single lots or a number of people have bought double lots. And this, the size of the house, you know, when you compare the prices to uh, to Jerusalem prices, you can get a uh, 20, 250 to 400 square meter house for the prices people are paying in Jerusalem for a three-bedroom apartment in Ramat Eshkol, which is one of the reasons why it's becoming so popular, is because of the value you're getting. You're out in the mountains, spectacular spectacular views out there, and um, and you're getting a lot of uh, value for the money. So uh, there are certainly uh, plenty of area for sukkahs. Every apartment can have a, a large sukkah, all the private houses. You know, we can fit the whole Siegel family. <laughs> it's funny how, how you know, the, the two sinks and the two dishwashers I get, that's every day, but it's funny how we think about, you know, what to do for one week out of the year, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but it's important that every time you notice brand-new uh, complexes going up in Israel, you see how even even when it comes to porches, they'll be, they'll be staggered so that you can actually put a sukkah no matter what floor you're on, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I've seen a model of the apartment building. I think there are 13 apartment buildings in addition to the 150 private homes, and every and that's exactly the way they are designed, <laughs> staggered so that every everyone can have that sukkah for 
know, the one week that we we go out and eat. Now. So the message from Israel is we think of everything, right? <laughs> Basically. Everything is thought of. We even have a, uh, there's going to be a, a country club there with a swimming pool, a community pool with basketball courts. You're serious about this. You, this is, I don't want people to think you're joking. You're serious. Yes, yes. I'm saying it's really, really being designed. So we understand that it's in Israel. You can't be an isolated American community in Israel. But if you provide the schools, the yeshivas, the shuls to that American standard, that's, that's the problem people have in Israel. Is they go there, and it really they don't, it doesn't meet their expectations, and it's hard for them to integrate in the Israeli society. So we're providing this opportunity for people to integrate into the Israeli society, but at the same time have all the amenities and have you know, all the luxuries and the necessities that people are used to in America. Like I say, the, uh, you know, a country club in the community, there'll be all types of retail shops there, um, stores, restaurants, community centers, as well as uh, as well as the yeshivas, the shuls, and mikvahs, and uh, again everything towards the American lifestyle. All right, the final expo for Ramat Givadzev happens this coming Sunday. The Lawrence Yacht and Country Club on Causeway in Lawrence, New York, goes from 11 until 5. The day will end with a very impressive lineup of speakers who will be able to um, uh, present and obviously answer any questions regarding the um, uh, the uh, complex in Israel, Ramat Givad Zev. Information about the entire thing, you dial 718-697-7546. Again, that's 718-697-7546. Ashish Stahler, anything you'd like to add? Uh, just one other thing. I guess the um, it's, people have seen the advertisements. They've seen that um, Rabbi Shmuel Brazil and his yeshiva, Ziva Torah, um, are committed to uh, moving their yeshiva out into the community, and I think that's an important factor for people who are considering it because, you know, uh, it's, it's a very his philosophy is you know the doors are open to everyone. It's, it's a very warm, welcoming yeshiva. Uh, it doesn't matter if someone comes in with a black hat or a kippah or where they dress. It's really how they feel on the inside, and that's the type of community that Nofa Yisrael is trying to build. One that's accepting of everyone. Everyone feels comfortable. And uh, to have a yeshiva like that, that's like your anchor tenant in a community because that'll bring in young couples, kolel people, young children. And it's a community that's going to be built for people who, who want to live there. It's not, not a community and like I have an apartment in David's Village. Right. You go there during the year, you know, it's told, there's nobody there. Right, it's this very quiet. A vibrant community <laughs> right. with, with, you know, families, with children, with parks, uh, you know, and everything geared towards that. And, again, just want to stress that, uh, you know, it's important for people to come to this show because this will be, the uh, the last opportunity because of the you know the the value that you're getting you know for to have a house you know ten minutes away from Yerushalayim as opposed to some of these smaller apartments uh, older buildings in in the uh, in Yerushalayim. And you mentioned Rabbi Brazil. I believe he's actually presenting on Sunday. People will have a chance to meet him, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he will be there. Ashi Staller, thank you so much. Good luck with Sunday's event, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure, Nachum. Thanks for having me. Wednesday morning broadcast at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills on the web. It's jmandtheam.org. Rabbi Menachem Ganak on his way to JM and the AM. He's scheduled to speak with us about the book entitled Letters to President Clinton. That's coming up if you keep it here at JM and the AM.
J.M. in the A.M., that's the uh, amazing selection from Eitan Katz. 
here on a JM in the AM Wednesday morning. One of my favorite guests has just walked into our studio. And lucky for me, he has just written a book. And I'm so glad that he has taken advantage of our invitation to join us here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Menachem Ganak is with us. Rabbi Ganak is rabbinic administrator and chief executive officer of the Orthodox Union's kosher division, overseeing the certification program of some th- of some 7,000 food production facilities in 80 countries. The OU is America's oldest Orthodox Jewish communal organization, embracing over 400 synagogues across North America. Rabbi Ganak is founding chairman of NORPAC, a political action committee very familiar to our listeners that supports a strong U.S.-Israel relationship. He has traveled with President Clinton to Israel several times and has published and edited numerous books on Jewish thought and law. Rabbi Ganak has joined us uh, on the air for uh, the release of a whole bunch of uh, material from OU Press. He is the general editor of OU Press and rabbi of Congregation Shomri Amuna in Englewood, New Jersey, and now the author of Letters to President Clinton, Biblical Lessons on Faith and Leadership. Rabbi Menachem Ganak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, good morning, Nachem. Oh, is it nice to see you. Good seeing you as well. And congratulations on the book. Have you voted yet today? Not yet, but I will. You will vote at some point today. Have you made your uh, choice for uh, United States Senate in New Jersey known, or is that something that as a rabbi and as a member of a communal organization you would not do publicly? Um, well, I'm voting for Cory Booker, but it's a secret. There you go. <laughs> I shouldn't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and you know Cory Booker for how long? About? Um, probably about 12 years. 12 and why is it that when he's at a Jewish event, usually he's the one who says the Dvar Torah? Why is that, that the that often members of the Jewish community are not say, saying words of Torah, but he tends to do so. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed you know, that? I, I'll tell you a funny story. This past, uh, last, last summer, when he was thinking whether to run for governor or not, right. so I went down with my son Moshe to his office, and we're having this conversation. So if I, I'm talking to him about one of my favorite topics, about Abraham Lincoln. Right. And then Corey sets, moves back and pulls out an article Chumash <laughs> from the back, he knows the Pasha, and he starts telling me something about the Pasha. I said, Corey, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> he ends up being the rabbi in the room, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny thing. And uh, obviously on the campaign trail, he's been doing it a lot. But, hey, it's sincere because we know he's doing it year-round. No matter where he is, he's you know, uh, you know, always you know, quoting scripture. He, he was the guest speaker uh, last year at Yale University's graduation. Right. He's, he's commencement a, address a and commencement all that. Right. He's a Yale he's a Yale alumnus from and you know, this is not per se a Jewish audience or right. the Jewish constituency that's in front of him. Even with the Hebrew on their logo. Right. <laughs> but he he gives a Dvar Torah. And he he starts by explaining I'm gonna give a Dvar Torah and it tells him what a Dvar Torah is. He says it like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's very it's very deep within him and very sincere. He's a, a very extraordinary person. Now you see how easy it is to get here in the morning. Could you uh, escort him here one morning once he becomes senator? I was actually senator? with him here last night in Jersey City. Seriously? Yeah. What venue? Mayor. Steve Phillips, the mayor, oh, did, sure. a, did an event for him, and uh, he asked me to come. Actually, Steve Phillips, a member of the Jewish community. This would be great. Let's have him and... And Cory Booker in here one morning. That'd Steve Phillips tells me that he went to Yeshiva, Raymond, uh, Rabbi Raymond. Pesach Raymond Yeshiva down Pesach, in, in, Edison, in New yeah, Brunswick yeah, area? Yeah. Holy cow. I didn't know that. That's why I'm here. We've, <laughs> we've been following him since he uh, catapulted into City Hall down the block. But yeah, I, did, yeah. I didn't realize that he was a Yeshiva grad or that he went to a Yeshiva. All right, so we should do that, Rabbi Ganak. We should, we should set that up right now. Let's, okay. l- let's get the new senator. Well, let, the- me, let me just see if my calendar works out. <laughs> the new senator, the new mayor, and bring everybody here 
on one morning. And and I'd lo- before we discuss the book, is there any any kosherous news you'd love to break on the? Is Entenmann's ever going to become kosher? Again, will it ever happen that you'll be able to walk into a store and actually purchase Entenmann's with an OU on it? What are you talking about? Entenmann's well, is kosher. Are you serious? You? It's ha- how long ago was that? No one told me a thing. You know what? <laughs> Entenmann's. When I first came to the OU right. in 1980, it's 33 years ago that we became head of the kosher division. This has been like the biggest piece of kosher's news in the last 20 years. So, <laughs> well, this this goes back more than 20 years. Is it more than 20? They have an OU on it already. It's 33 years. Wow. And it was right. I mean, I had nothing about my predecessor. Rabbi Lifshitz was the one who shepherded it in. Right. I, you know, I, I, but it happened while I was there. The prime the example, right? That is the example well, of, a, of I, an American. I would say, you know, Oreos was the biggest story ever because Oreos is the, uh, first of all, Oreos represented, you know, the epitome and trade for Nabisco. Right. It was had lard in it. And when Oreos changed, it was a, a huge story. It was an actually a New York Times story. Unbelievable. Hershey was a big deal, or not Not much had to be changed to get an OU on it? Um, well, Hershey happened before me. Uh, so you wouldn't know about Caviarful. that process. Yeah. Did it really happen that long ago? Hershey's had an OU that long ago? It Holy looks that God. way. That's unbelievable. And um, can one clear this up for me right now? I've eaten a meat meal. It's a. It's whatever number of minutes later. Can I eat an Oreo? Yes or no? Tell well, this you, audience what they want to hear. <laughs> you get right to the sanctum sanctorum. <laughs> right to the most important question. Well, you know, we don't put O-U-D-E's on our products. Right. We, we don't do it because, first of all, we think it's con- sometimes confusing right. to the consumer. The more the, you know, we're mm-hmm. not just talking about people living in, in a bubble park. Right. Or, um, and in this case, uh, in terms of Oreos, the company itself doesn't want to, wants it to remain OUD because right. it wants the flexibility of changing the formula. Correct. Basher Husham, at this mom- moment, I'm not speaking about all the Oreos, but at least the basic Oreo. Right. You know, that is, the, 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 there are no dairy ingredients at all on it, and the equipment is, is not dairy as well. So Shabbos afternoon, someone's dying for an Oreo. Right. They could go ahead and go for it. That may be the most important thing we discussed this morning. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out in a minute. The book is called Letters to President Clinton, Biblical Lessons on Faith and Leadership, edited by Rabbi Menachem Ganak. Why write this book? Well, this book, really, the genesis of the book is that for, for many years, oh, um, actually starting from 1992, while Bill Clinton was then a candidate, Governor Clinton was right. a candidate for president. So we, we've had a friendship and a conversation about biblical themes. And uh, and while he was president, I used to write him, and to this very day, till till last week, you're still write, in touch with him. Absolutely. And um, and uh, I thought at one point that it, you know hit my, the letters to him and uh, his responses would would be of interest not only to him but to others. He wrote the foreword to the book, and. Uh, he's in terms of the general project overall, he's been enormously helpful and supportive. Does a former president object to any specific letter not being in this book, or basically it's, you know, whatever we've corresponded uh, uh, corresponded to each other over the years, Rabbi Ganak, go ahead and you can print it for everybody to see. Well, um, it, it's not every letter, you know. There's a selection of the letters, right. and, and some of the letters that I actually wanted to go in, not because of his objection, right. did, didn't get in. But, uh, you know, because the editor, Barbara Berger, who is my, uh, just an exceptional editor from Sterling Press, you know, we had to fit a certain amount of material in. Um, obviously, we, you know, some of the things that we did, we, we didn't 
uh, in consultation with the president's office. But overall, he was very supportive. When I broached it with him a few years ago, he, he liked the idea very much. As a matter of fact, I, I was with him, and I gave him a manuscript, a draft, which he told me right away that he would write the forward for. Um, and the next, the next day, I was, the next evening, I was at, at the State Department. There was an event at the State Department, which uh, Hillary Clinton had invited me to, and she came over and she said, you know, Bill called me last night and told me about the book, and I think it's a great idea. So mm. both the president and Hillary have been... Very so very enthusiastic about it. And only because you mentioned him earlier in the conversation, it's the only reason I'll use him as a point of reference. If, if some of us are familiar with the scholarship of Cory Booker, for instance, is Bill Clinton close to that? Is he the same type of biblical scholar like we've grown to know Cory Booker as? Bill Clinton's knowledge of the Bible is absolutely extraordinary. Really? I think uh, the, the very first missive that I wrote him, um, my daughter Tammy typed it for me. And I, and in those days I used to hand it to him. Subsequently, we set up a different system. But uh, the uh, it deals with Joseph and Judah. Why is it that jo- the progenitor of kingship of Malchus is Yehuda, Judah? One would have thought that Joseph is so much more suitable. He right. was a king. He's perfect in every respect. And I quoted something from Abba Salavechik, which I once heard from the Rav. The Rav said that uh, what we when we look for in a, in a king is not perfection, but the ability to admit a mistake, not to be wedded to a disastrous policy because it, you know, because of arrogance. And that's, that's what Yehuda represents. The word Yehuda, we know from, from Chumash, means to thank, but it also, Toysen said, Marcus means to admit. Uh, what we would say, moda, right? Moda, yeah. exactly. And that's what we're looking for. So anyhow, w- referring to the story of Yehuda and Tamar, which subsequently became a little bit prescient in my, you know, in his... Um, so I, my daughter typed Genesis 28. He, he gently wrote back a note, Genesis 38. He knew about the typo. <laughs> oh, not only that, I mean, the, I, I have in the books just some stories about him. Uh, Martin Marty, who's a very distinguished um, Christian theologian and historian of Christianity, he was a professor emeritus at University of Chicago, told me that there was once a meeting at the White House and um, and there were it was uh, assembled was you know important Christian leaders of all different denominations evangelicals Catholics different Protestant denominations and one of them who was very prominent whose name I'm not going to mention tells President Clinton he said um, Mr. President I've been praying for you so the president says um, well what have you been praying and he says well I've been and he cites a verse. And it says it's from Chronicles 1. And the president says, I believe it's in Chronicles 2. Um, so those kind of things are... Uh, it's funny that we, and I just use that term generally, did not know this about the president. Yeah. Well, I think people generally do know that the man, you know, his... But just to that his, degree? His knowledge. I'm not talking about... Just right, you're saying area. in general. He, he's, you know, he's a smart man. He's, he's <laughs> Road be- scholar, right? Road scholar. He's right. way beyond smart. He's right. just, you know, it's dazzling when you speak to him. If you ever quote a book, right. you know, which, you know, I've had this experience from just innumerable times, he's read it. I remember I was with him once, and, and I, I, we, there was an event um, at the White House for the millennium um, in the year 2000. Right. They had different scholars speaking. I, I told him after that I'd read this book, which is you know, William Manchester's book, When the, when the World Was Lit by Fire. Mm-hmm. And... 
you know, oh yeah, great book. I read. I, I, I've had this experience over and over with him. It just, you, you, I, I was once at a breakfast sitting at the president's table, and there was a, um, whose name just ex- escapes me right now. He was the, he, um, the, the dean of Harvard's Divinity School, African American, and he, and the president says, you know, I enjoyed your book. So he said, Mr. President, it hasn't been published yet. So he said, I've, I got the galleys. And he read it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Rabbi Menachem Ganak is here. The book is Letters to President Clinton. You just alluded to this a couple of minutes ago, and I'd like to go back to it. So in this initial dialogue with the president, or the soon-to-be president of the United States, I don't know at what point the Joseph Judah conversation came up. No, that was after he was president. That was already after he was president. Uh, so he says that, uh, the Rav rather, said that leadership means being able to admit a mistake. And you know, somewhat prophetic, as you just alluded to, because we know that Bill right. Clinton did make some huge mistakes, uh, especially in, uh, in, uh, in, what do we call it, his private life. And yet, unfortunately for him, you know, he's such a public figure, it became a worldwide international scandal. Um, so now, how? let me start with the question that everybody's asking, then I'll get to the specifics of your correspondence with him during that time. How does... Such a smart man, such a knowledgeable man, make a mistake as huge as that. Um, great people and brilliant people sometimes make huge mistakes. And that's, we know that. And, and we know that that's not only true about them; it's true about all of us. Right. That's why without without Yom Kippur we couldn't survive. And that's why tshuva, pen, penit, you know, repentance is such a basic tenet of our faith. And now, what were your correspondence with him like during that period of time? Well, in my book, I have a whole section called Sin and Repentance. So, you know, I try to deal with that theme, um, you know, from a biblical perspective. And uh, you know, right. Did he address it? directly with you at any point, or this was a topic that was never brought up between someone like yourself who's so close to him as a rabbinic figure and the president? No. Um, as a matter of fact, when he, before he, after he testified before the grand jury, um, Star's grand jury, he, he asked me, what should, I, what should I say when I speak to the nation? He asked my advice about it, and uh, what I told him is you should express profound remorse, and in what was terrible political advice, though, I said um, that, you, you know, you should also speak about the, the right of privacy. Presidents also have a right of privacy. And as you said, because he was a, you know, a world leader, right. so this became very public. But I'm not so sure that, you know, in the, in the media-driven world that we live in, that, that, um, that, that you know, everybody, including public figures, depending unless it has something to do directly with their, you know, their governance, don't have a right of privacy. And that was actually one of the missives that I wrote in the book. Um, and as you, as you probably know, when, he's, when, you know, when he spoke to the nation, he mentioned the president's also have a right of privacy, Correct. which he was uh, excoriated for. Right. But, uh, you know, my good friend Joe Lieberman, when he spoke on the Senate floor, said, scolded him and said, presidents don't have, even, you know, don't have a right of right. and I, and I and I, I don't think that's correct. But, I mean, I know Bill Clinton pretty well. He's, ex- he's, a, you know, he's a very gracious and warm person. So, you know, in terms of how I view him, 
you know, I think we we have to view everybody in balance, and that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. We know right. the scale, and God's only, but of course that can only be done in God's divine scale. So he survived politically, in your estimation, because not enough people wanted him out. Obviously, the impeachment vote, you know, was not significant enough, or because he handled it so well, he was able to avert it. Because most people, I think, would say he handled it terribly, yet he survived because of the, you know, to a degree, the the non magnitude of the event. It wasn't enough for them to throw him out of office. What would you say? Well, first of all, I, I mean, just my, again, this is my own opinion. Mm-hmm. I thought the impeachment, you know, in, just on constitutional grounds, was absurd. These weren't grounds for impeachment. This didn't represent high crimes and misdemeanors. And if this would have been the standard, you know, there would be very few presidents left, uh, certainly in the century. So I, I think I think people in general knew that he was doing a good job. They liked him very much. Uh, the economy, you know... Was was doing extremely well. America was essentially at peace, um, and I think they saw, I think they were offended, as I was, by the, you know, the, um, the, uh, you know, the hypocrisy of the accusers. I mean, mm-hmm. the. Uh, I was much more offended by his actions, frankly. But okay. oh, I, I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think you. Should, I, 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 you know, I don't. I, I don't have a problem with the person being, you know, it was it was wrong, and right. you know, I don't want to, you know, say otherwise. I I, I also was a, a disappointed, um, very disappointed. But I'm just saying, you know, it's hard for the the uh, you know the uh, speaker of the house who has his own right. his own issues. issues, the chairman of the House Judiciary Commission that ordered out these articles of impeachment only, you know, later had to confess to a youthful indiscretion, right. which was with a married woman who broke up a marriage. The, um, the chairman of, you know, uh, of investigative committee in the House, you know, admitted to an illegitimate child that the incoming chair, uh, speaker of the House had to step down. We've got quite a government, don't we? Right. <laughs> well, but then, you know, these one, you know, you're 100% right. You, you, you mean... What President Clinton did was deplorable. It was clearly on constitutional grounds, not what high crimes and misdemeanors mean. All right. Right, Menachem Ganak is here. Letters to President Clinton. Why not write a book exclusively on your relationship with the president? Why include so many others who had a lot to say about faith and leadership? Right. Well, again, the book is not about my relationship with President Clinton. Understood. But I I would say that that your letters would have been an amazing basis for a book about well, you, you know, and your relationship you with know, the president. Part of it is about the relationship. The president speaks to it in, in the forward to the book. <coughs> but, you know, I, I think that the Bible, in our case, Tanakh, has something to say about, you know, in terms of general parameters. I'm not speaking about specific issues. That's, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not a civics book. But, you know, that can can illuminate events. And and uh, and I thought he'd be interested. I wrote many of them, most of them, I think. Um, to hear from other people. I mean, some of the other contributors are, you know, significant figures and had had what to say. Not that it's possible to go through all of them, but they do include people like who would you mention are with you in this effort? Um, Rabban Soloveitchik, Raoul Hoffman wrote a beautiful poem to the president. Um, uh, he's a Nobel Prize winner in uh, in uh, chemistry. Cynthia Ozick, who's a world really an extraordinary writer. Novelist wrote a stunning piece about Shabbos. Um, 
Noah Rotman, who was Yitzhak Rabin's granddaughter, and it's worth mentioning because yesterday was Yitzhak Rabin's yacht side. Correct. Um, who spoke at, um, at, you know, at his funeral. Remember, she said sure. he, he was the column of fire before right. the camp, and now we're left in darkness. She was then a, a young teenager. So she wrote a beautiful piece filled with Chazal, um, which, you know, President Clinton had a very special relationship with uh, Prime Minister Rabin. Correct. Um, um, there, there are some of them. <laughs> I'm f- there were a few who I intended to be in the book but uh, didn't get into the book. But you do There's include people like Senator Lieberman. Joe Lieberman, yes. Rabbi Steinsaltz. David Kajdan, who won the you know MacArthur Genius Award, wrote a piece about Yisro, and I, we, I, I mentioned him because he last week was in a very serious accident, mm. and he's just clinging to life. He, he was professor of, of um, mathematics at Harvard and now at Hebrew University. He was riding his bicycle in Israel and was hit by a truck, mm. a hit and run, and he's in extremely critical condition. Very brilliant mathematician. Some say the greatest mathematician in the world. Atamid Chachem, uh, emigrate from the Soviet Union. He used to come to Rav Soloveitchik's room in Boston. That's how I, I know him. Uh, Jonathan Sachs, Lord Sachs, wrote the the um, the preface t- to the book, as well as several beautiful essays to the president. You have some amazing names here, and many others that we haven't gotten to. And Rabbi uh, Lau right. wrote a beautiful piece about remembering being there in the hospital with, with Rabin when he was brought after he was shot right. and the idea of sacrifice incredible alright Menachem Ganak is here the book is Letters to President Clinton Biblical Lessons on Faith and Leadership this is available already correct? yes this is actually out. yesterday was the official oh really it just yeah. became available well yeah I mean the official it's already been at Barnes right. & Noble for about a week or two a sterling release and uh, highly recommended of course um, what is the uh, we are all so curious about not just not only in the aftermath of the episode that we discussed, but in general, the relationship between the president and his wife Hillary Clinton. You know both very well. I mean, it, I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but again, a lot of curiosity out there. Complicated relationship, like any other husband and wife. I mean, how how would you classify or at least give us a taste of what you've seen uh, from their marriage? Well, you know, candidly, I'm not an expert about their marriage. Uh, Understood. But, I, but, uh, <laughs> but yet, you know, I'm sure what, you what have I an observation see, or two. Yeah, you know, it's a, they're very committed to each other, I think. And uh, Bill Clinton, um, you know, admires his wife uh, very, very much, and I, you know, for good reason. Um, Is it tough to be... Uh, Again, I'm asking you from his perspective, which is difficult, but, I mean, we're talking about two world leaders. We're talking about two world leaders, essentially, right? Secretary of State of the United States, former President of the United States, I mean, at one time Secretary of State, being married to each other. It must be one of the most impossible <laughs> relationships out there, or it's certainly uh, one of the most challenging, you would, you would agree, no? Well, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, those kind of positions, and t- not talking about these two people specifically, right. being, you know, their own challenges, being in this kind of fishbowl, as we know, but uh, you know they're, they're they're very similar in certain respects and different in other respects. But they're b- both obviously you know intellectually very very smart, very committed to you know the possibility of trying to ameliorate the situation of people around the globe, which is what the Clinton Global Initiative is based on, right. the Clinton Foundation, which now Hillary has joined and very much involved in. 
and uh, very creative people. So they have, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure they have what to talk about. Knowing you a little bit, I would bet you consider him a great president, right? Looking back, you would say he was a great president, correct? So I, if that's the case, I see you're hesitating a drop. But if, it, <coughs> but if in fact my my um, uh, conjecture is accurate, what made him a great president? What was it about him that you think mm-hmm. made a great presidency? You know, it, it's hard to say he was a great president because you know great presidents are created in the cauldron of extraordinary crisis. Right, times so, make the man, right? Well, I always lean toward times make the man. That's, that's, yeah, so I always th- lean in th- that direction. You know, there, are, there are different theories of history where right. it's the man that creates it. For, but, you know, he, he's a man with extraordinary capacity. He's, you know, it, it just in terms of his in, intelligence, both his raw intelligence and also his political intelligence, it's just stunning. Um, He'd be handling today's crisis in Washington a lot differently. You'd agree? Or? 100%. Right. He, he and President Obama are, are very, very right. different kind of people. Correct. Extremely different. And someone pointed out something to me that I brought up with Malcolm, and, and I don't think he thought there was much validity to it, but I still think there's something to it. He, President Obama has not been in Washington a long time, right, by standards of, of, of presidents, right? He, he has not been in Washington a long he time. He was a state senator you know, for, for, two state years senator before he was and, then, and then a U.S. Right. senator for a very right. short time. And, and we know, we know from Johnson and, and so many others in history what long-term relationships, and Reagan, we know what long-term relationships in Washington mean. And, and obviously, just based on time, he has not had it. And I think that that's an important component to what's going on right now. He does not have the deep-rooted relationships with people, especially on the other side of the aisle, that predecessors might have had. Anything to that? Yeah, well, there might, there might be something to it. You know, Lyndon Johnson, you mentioned, you know, Carol has several books just right. about his extraordinary ability to... Right. to Best retailer ever. Right, right to manipulate, uh, you know different members of the Senate and right. the Congress to, to get where, and in, you know, to, he, he didn't always use the most noble uh, methods, right. Methods, and then Reagan, got, Tip O'Neill, that's right, a famous right, relationship. You know? Right, right. So, but, but you know, um, um, so, I mean, there, there may be something to it, you know. I, I think it doesn't have so much to do with the amount of time, you know, the tenure in Washington. It has right. to do with the personality. You know, um, this is my impression, President Obama. I've only met him a few times. I don't really know him at all. But, you know, I think we, just from what we see, you right. know, is that he's, he's very insular. He, um, he makes decisions always on, you know, ultimately on his own. Of course, every president has to, right. you know, like, like Truman said, the buck stops here. But he, he's, he's not a glad handler of any kind. Bill Clinton is, is just he knew how to play a room, he, and it's and it's because he's really interested in people. Right. You know, this book he likes meeting people. He, this book t- tells you one thing about Bill Clinton. First of all, that he's very smart. I mean, I hope people will read it because the the the, the biblical lessons. Yeah, we'll get to that. By the way, I have I have a few for that. I, you know, I, I hope <laughs> we recommend themselves independently. But Bill Clinton loves people. He's interested in people. Obviously, you know, in an extreme, it can get you into a lot of trouble. Right. But um, you know, people interest him, and and he's interested in public policy because people interest him, and and you know, there's a, there was this famous aphorism they said then about Al Gore. I, I didn't think it was fair to Al Gore, but the aphorism that was going around was that when when Bill Clinton talks to a crowd of a thousand people, a room of a thousand people, you feel that he's talking directly to you. Right. 
and when Al Gore talks directly to you, you feel he's talking to a crowd of a thousand people. Right. Um, that happens not to be true about Al Gore. Okay. But, I've uh, met but, but, both, and I agree right, with that. But, okay. but um, that, that was at least the perception that right. people had. It, you know, George Bush was the guy you can drink right. a beer with and so right. on. I don't know if that's necessarily the most important qualification of being president of the United States. <laughs> but uh, that's a different discussion. If he was can, a Democrat, folks, where I can act with me speaking differently. But no, 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 that's not true. <laughs> I, actually, I actually vote Republican as often as I vote uh, Democrat. Really? Yeah. Local as well or not? Um, lo- um, local, if I'd have the opportunity, you know. Right, Give me a candidate. Off, right, you know? often it doesn't happen. Um, so it's funny you say this because I, I met both the president and Hillary on different occasions, and people asked me for my assessment, and I said one thing, and this is about both of them. And I think you'll, I think this mm-hmm. emphasizes your point. I said I felt like they had been waiting there for a month to see me as if I was their long-lost right, cousin. Right, right. It's unbelievable. And, you know, when he would be at a vote line, then you must have seen it, he'll, he'll ju- he just he can't get him away from the Correct, line. Correct, right. And he's there shaking hands, right. then, he'll, then he goes into the kitchen to right. shake hands with all the, you know, the, the, the waiters and the cooks right. and so on, and he just genuinely likes people. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I tell the story in the book, but after he was elected president, so, you remember, he was, the, the first hundred days was a really tough hundred days. Oh, you yes. Know. You know, and they, and the, the, the media, they, you know, they, they had stories, which one of them was completely false, that he had remembered that he had taken a haircut on, on a plane right. and stopped all the planes from coming Correct. in. Correct. Flew in some barbers. Right. right. <laughs> so, the story was, you know, not one plane was delayed. But, uh, <coughs> anyhow, he, he was trying to get his... His, uh, you know, his economic program and budget passed, which ultimately passed by one vote, right. Al Gore's vote right. in the Senate. Like Al Gore said at the time, you know, whenever I vote, we win. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I got a call from the White House saying that the president you know, would like me to come. There was a delegation coming from different states that he was going to lobby so that we could lobby our elected officials. Right. And he said they had leaders of different states, and I was on... I was invited as part of the New Jersey delegation. So the, the date was supposed to be sometime in July, and it was go- the date was going to fall on Tishabov. Mm. So I told this White House aide, you know, if I come, it was going to be in the afternoon, right. you know, I'm going to have to wear sneakers. Right. And I explained to him, Tishabov. Right. Might look inappropriate, yeah, et cetera. So right. the guy tells me, you know, I hope you don't come right. because the president is chronically late. He's going to notice that you're wearing sneakers. <laughs> He's going to ask you why you're wearing sneakers. You're going to tell him about Tishabov, the destruction of the temple. He's going to ask more. And, and it's going to be even later than he is. That's great. At the end, the meeting was postponed, so I, I, I did go. But, uh, you know, it, it, so the, well, I think what the book testifies to is, first of all, his incredible intellectual curiosity his openness to other traditions. After all, he writes in, right. his, in his preface, you know, he's a Southern Baptist. Correct. Um, With a great interest in other religions, etc. You know, just like different ideas, tremendous familiarity with the Bible. And the Bible, as he writes in his in prefaces and in his book, is a resource for him. For So those are the things that, you know, you, you know implicitly are part of the book. All right, I don't want to run out of time, which we're about to, because I knew this would be a fascinating conversation. I could do this for hours with you. But a couple of things we must talk about. Uh, I don't know... What their congregants in Englewood, New Jersey, felt or feel. I don't know what your colleagues at the OU felt or feel, but there are many people who were not happy with him being the uh, the fulcrum of the 1993 uh, ceremony at the White House. Uh, that what we now refer to as the Oslo Accords. Uh, were you at all disappointed with what he did in terms of gearing or moving things that Israel would in fact uh, uh, agree to that agreement? Uh, 
Well, first of all, in, in terms of uh, you know overall American policy, irrespective of this, you right. know, that president or any other president, including George Bush, the United States policy is, um, which is Israel's policy as well in terms of you know two-state solution. So, uh, w- w- you know, I, I think the issue is not so much the two-state solution per se, as as much as is there a credible, honest person on the other side of the Correct. table which I think we can all agree, all mean you, that means to say. Right, that we have uh, not yet found that person. We have not found right. that person. Right. But in terms of Bill Clinton, in terms of his attitude towards Israel and his instincts towards Israel, he, uh, I can, I, you know, I've, I've been with him to Israel many times. We've spoken about this many times. Um, and I have you know, many books, many, excuse me, letters in, right. in the book about it. He, he loves Israel. He cares about the security of the state of Israel. Um, Interesting, you know. I, right, I, but does I, he know that those accords likely led to the assassination of the prime minister, to Intifada one and two? I mean, well, I think that that's a very unfair statement. No, but the, there has to, <laughs> the, uh, the no, accords no. led to the assassination no, 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 of the prime no, minister. No, the prime no, minister no, was no, killed no, by understood. by one of the people who uh, who were opposed to the accords. Understood, but yeah. not. Well, that's my point. But anyway, but but but, 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 but let's let's not go there. What I'm saying is that. Israel suffered because of those accords. If one looks at history, it, it, it's, it's obvious that Israel lost a lot of people because, and a lot of its citizens because of... Uh, you know, I, I, what you say is obvious. It's not so obvious to me because, you yeah. know, Israel lost many citizens and, and because of the intifada, because, because the Palestinians are the Palestinians. They're uh, with no leadership. Right, so irrelevant <laughs> of U.S. support or U.S. brokering. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 the, what, you know, what these negotiations then att- attempted to do was to create, you know, an uh, environment that would stop that. Now, it could be that they blundered in terms of, but uh, first of all, that wasn't the United States. The United States didn't even know about the initial Oslo Accords. It wasn't American involvement in the Oslo Accords. America didn't even know about the initial Oslo Accords. It was only until later. Um, and I think um, Secretary of State then Christopher said, you know, you, it's t- telling the Israelis, you better be right about this because we didn't even know about this initially. You better be right about this assessment. So one could, you know. Essentially, it was Paris and Arafat behind the scenes that summer. Right. And, well, the, and others. But right. you know, the, the, actually, there are those who claim that Yitzhak Rabin at the very, right. very, you know, didn't realize exactly what was going. So, right. you, know, would, would, you know, had Rabin lived, which he didn't, it would be interesting to see how he would have handled it. You know, his daughter said that he, he began to have some. Some, um, you know, reservations about. Well, you could tell from the, the go, go to the photo. I assume you were there that day in September of '93. I he, was there. He did not look too comfortable there, frankly. Right. I mean, if body language is any indication, he was not happy to be there that oh, day. Oh, 100%. Like he told you, like he told, you know, Clinton at the time, he said, I'll shake his hand, but no kissing. Yeah. Um, and he barely shook his hand. He barely, yeah, Clinton had to orchestrate it. Right. But, but you know, you know, in terms of Rabin, and as I said, yes, there was his yacht site. Right. Uh, you know, Clinton loved him. Whenever he would speak about him, and I saw this, it, just tears would come to his eyes. And in some of the letters that Clinton writes in this book, like he has a letter to Eliakim Rubinstein, he says that, um, you know, I think about him, I miss him every day. And I know that that's what he thought. He was really a, a yeah. father figure to President Clinton. And, and before I get bombarded all through the day, my point was that that, 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 that ceremony changed history. Things happened. 
that may not have happened if not for that ceremony. I wasn't try- was not trying to make any other point than yeah, that. But I, so that's what I don't agree with you about. Right, Israel okay. did, did not become right. less secure because of that ceremony. Israel's, right. it, you know, the inherent insecurity, I mean, Israel is a strong nation, though, right. but is because of the, the neighbors and the culture that surrounds it. Understood. And, and, and ultimately, on, from a historical p- perspective, one would try to confront that. How one does that is not easy, you know. Right. I, I don't mean to say that I, you know, I'm not a member of Peace Now at this point, but, uh, you know, President, I, I write in this, uh, President Clinton once told me, I was with him, in, this was in 2002, he went to, to speak at Tel Aviv University, I, and I was with him, and he, after he spoke, he said, why don't you come up to my room? So I, I went up, this was, you know, he had Chaim Saban was there, he had, it was Chaim Saban, I didn't, you know, it was in Tel Aviv University, there was some program that he uh, yeah. endowed. About multimedia, probably? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It was... Uh, but anyway, anyhow, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the president was talking, and he told me he said that he had been in Egypt and in France, and anyhow, he told me that I told Jacques Chirac that the reasons the Israelis trust me, and uh, by the way, uh, it's worth noting in Israel they absolutely adore Bill Clinton. You know, if he would run for prime minister, he'd be he'd be elected in a second. Interesting. Um, so he told me the re- the the reason the Israelis trust me this is he's saying to Jacques Chirac is because they know that if Israel was in danger I'd get into a tank and fight for Israel interesting letters to President Clinton is the book biblical lessons on faith and leadership aside from being able to I know we only have a minute or two but aside from being able to admit a mistake what else do we have to know about leadership that you learned from this work oh I think there's a lot more than just admitting a mistake that's just that was one missive we've got a hundred here yeah. so uh, a lot of well, other components well you know if you talk about great leaders let's talk about a great American leader the greatest American leader the greatest president and leader was Abraham Lincoln right. I mean there are some parallels here but there, you know we, right. we should know that Lincoln is sui generis no one is Lincoln right. um, but what made Lincoln in the darkest times in American history um, you know so you, and people at the time so many people thought you know he wasn't qualified how did he become president but one thing was, first of all, um, political genius, ability to deal with people, um, also extraordinary humility. Hmm. Um, and that's where you see the Torah says. The Torah says when it looks for a king, he has to write and say, Shalom Yoram Levavo. And humility is a, a very, very important quality in leadership. Um, not knowing all the answers, being flexible. Um, those are qualities of leadership. And also, Lincoln was a man of, he wasn't, as his wife Mary said, he wasn't technically a Christian. You know, when he ran the first time for Congress, he, he lost because right. people said he was a, a scoffer. Um, but he, he used the Bible, and in, all the time, it was a resource from both in terms of faith and, and language. Lincoln, when he was a young boy, had hardly any books. You know, he would read, read the Bible over and over again, other books, Aesop's uh, fables and other things. So, you know, when we looked at great leader, look, look at Lincoln and a man of, you know, of great moral conviction, a man devoid of prejudice, um, he was quite a man. He was quite, and we're very much missing Lincoln. Yeah, we need some great leadership these days, don't we? Letters to President Clinton is the book, or a Menachem Ganak, Biblical Lessons on Faith and Leadership. Mazal Tov on the book, and thank you so much for joining us. I could do this for hours with you. Oh, and I'll see you at the, uh, the, um, at the summit, the uh, Fuller Booker uh, Ganak Summit here at JMDM one morning, won't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to that already, Rabbi Ganak, aren't you? Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. JM and the AM on a Wednesday morning broadcast.
The Maccabees wrapping things up. JMNAM, don't forget we continue all day long at jmnam.org. Randy Wartelski coming up with something to talk about. And then Rabbi Chaim Hagler with uh, Dr. David Hirschhorn on the topic of Hevra Kadisha that is happening on our stream between 10 and 11 this morning at jmnam.org. Yes, he's why, because a live lunch coming up starting at 11 a.m. Achenu Bisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. My thanks, Rabbi Ganak. My thanks to the students of the YU Medical Ethics Society. My thanks to all of you for tuning in. More tomorrow morning, including a look at the Chevron Fund weekend coming up next Shabbos. For uh, Parshas Chai Sara, we'll do that tomorrow on the air here at JM and the AM. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.